From the Amazon to the Himalayas, God is accomplishing his mission. Welcome to Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Stories and conversations with the global church and for the global church about the mission of God in the world. And now here is your host, Paul Aiken. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. We're going to continue today our survey of global cities, and our guest is Rick Martinez. Rick is an IMB missionary, and Rick and his family live and serve in Mexico City, Mexico. I have known Rick for many years, and I'm thrilled for you to hear from him today. Rick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to our discussion today. Well, why don't we start, Rick, with you just kind of sharing your salvation testimony with us. Share with us how how God saved you. Yeah, I'd love to. I was raised in a Roman Catholic home. My family, I would would consider them nominally Catholic, just uh, going to church, kind of going through the religious motions. And so I'm thankful for that upbringing because I, I was brought up in, you know, understanding and knowing about God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, growing up in a Trinitarian faith. However, I realized that as I became a got into high school, I really realized that the faith did not really mean a whole lot to me personally, as I understood those concepts I understood who those people were, but I didn't understand exactly what did God and Christ and what did Christ's death on the cross over 2000 years ago, what did it have to do with me, you know, at the time? And so because of my lack of really religious understanding at the time, my life for several years reflected a young man who lived according to, to the world without going into much detail. I was just lost, and it took me several years to really understand that I needed something more in my life. I'm thankful because somebody, I don't know who, uh, gave me a New Testament. It was one of these good news for modern man New Testaments. It was about two inches thick, and it had little stick figure drawings. I think at at a real low point in my life, I just began to, on my own, no priest, no pastor, no missionary, not nobody told me I should read the New Testament. I began to read this at a low point in my life, and it's really just amazing what God did just through me reading his word and through the Holy Spirit opening my eyes of faith and opening my heart to what he was saying through his word, I really began to understand several very crucial, important things in my life. And one of those was I actually was a lost person. Just because I had been raised in in a Christian faith did not mean that I was automatically saved. In fact, I grew up not even understanding, not, not even really even hearing those terms save what it meant. But one thing that the New Testament taught me that I was lost without Christ, and it kind of began to reveal to me why my life was heading the way it was. And this is when I was a young guy, you know, I would say around 20 years old is when I began to read this New Testament. And so I got saved a little bit later in my life. But not only did I realize that I was lost and separated from God, I also, for the first time in my life, understood Christ and what his death on the cross meant and what it actually meant for me and then his resurrection and what what all that meant. And all I knew is that at that time, as a young man, I knew there was something wrong in my life. I was now discovering 
exactly what was wrong. I was a sinner separated from God. And then I, I realized, wow, Jesus died on that cross, paid the penalty for my sins on that cross. And, and all of those who believe he rose from the dead. And if I would put my faith in him, united with him, I would also live with him in glory. So God saved me when I was 20 years old all through reading a New Testament, and I'm just eternally grateful and thankful that he did that for me when I was 20 years old. That's so good. I love hearing stories about just the power of God's Word, and it was somebody giving you a New Testament, and then you taking time to read that, God opening your eyes, opening your heart to understand what you were reading, and it's just a reminder to us just how powerful the Word of God is. So thanks for sharing that. I want to fast forward a little bit. You, you said God saved you at age 20, and now you live and you serve and have for some time in Mexico City. So can you tell us how you got from you know salvation at 20 to eventually moving you and your family to Mexico City to, to live and serve there? You know, after God saved me, I quickly realized that he was doing something in my life. You know, there was just an instant desire to know more about his word. It was just part of it was being a brand new Christian, being like a sponge and just, just discovering things through his word, being mentored through radio preachers and and my pastor. And pretty quickly, I realized that I wanted to take my faith further and I began to process this as some type of calling on my life, talking with my pastor at the time that I, I felt like God was just doing something different. And I remember he told me, well, if you think God may be calling you, there's a church down in, in South Florida in an area called Homestead. They need a youth director for the summer. Why don't you go and plant yourself for the summer? And I did that. So I just started taking opportunities to minister and serve. And it was through that process that I realized that, man, I, I enjoy, I love teaching God's word. I enrolled in a liberal arts Christian university called Trinity International University that's based in Deerfield, but they had a South Florida campus. And it was there that I pursued studies. And then after graduating there, I went to, again, perceiving this call after graduating from my bachelor's, went to uh, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I entered seminary with a call, but not really understanding the details of that call. I was open to be a pastor, youth pastor, professor, missionary, whatever. And so in my last year of seminary, I went to Rio Bamba, Ecuador on a mission trip. It was January 2001. And really it was on that. I was married by now. I had, I think, one child. And I remember beyond that mission trip, my wife was pregnant with our second child. And so she had to stay back. And God just really grabbed hold of my heart on that mission trip. And I remember just sensing this is what God wants us to do. I got into one of these internet kind of phone booth things. I called my wife and I said, look, if I'm understanding God right, we're going to apply to be missionaries. And if God wants us to do it, he's going to just keep blowing those doors open. And if not, he'll close them and we'll regroup. But that's how I got to a missionary call. And so we were appointed actually November 2002 with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And we have served, we did language studies in Bolivia. Then we served with the indigenous people group in Peru for five years, really high elevation near Lake Titicaca. I mean, it was 12,500 feet of elevation, blistering cold. And then we went from Peru 
Then we served in Quito, Ecuador, working together with SBC churches to partner them with unreached peoples that are outside of the city. Then we spent some time in Caracas, Venezuela, couldn't get visas to stay in Venezuela. One of the major priorities in Latin America at the time was Mexico City. So when we couldn't stay in, in Venezuela, it was just like, okay, Mexico City's here. They need workers. Yeah, so we decided after praying about it that this is the door that was opening. So now we've been in Mexico City for about seven and a half years. Thanks for sharing that. I want to zero in a little bit more on Mexico City. Maybe just briefly tell us some about the people, the culture. What makes this part of the world unique? One of the unique aspects of Mexico City is, first of all, there's if you take in the whole metropolitan area, there's about 22 million. Some people say up to 28. I think if you go past 20 million, it's, it's all the same, right? So <laughs> you're surrounded by millions and millions and millions of people. So it doesn't, you know, who knows? It's anywhere from 22 to 28 million people. So that makes it unique. It makes it unique, just a massive place. In fact, I read an article about Mexico City and the author called Mexico City the urban unfathomable, you know? So it's just, it, it's an immense place. It's hard to contain. It's hard to just give a real quick summary of what is Mexico City because there's so many parts to it. In Mexico City has vast wealth. I'm talking about miles after miles of vast historical wealth. You have miles after miles of vast historical poverty. You have burgeoning middle-class areas. At any given time in Mexico City, you have 6 million cars on the road, which makes traffic a very unpleasant aspect of it. And Mexico City is unique because while we have a historical church here in the city, we are still at about, I would say about 90% of the people in Mexico City still are unreached with the gospel in the sense of they've heard of Christ. It's kind of like my Roman Catholic upbringing, hearing about God, knowing about Jesus. They know he died on a cross, but what does that mean for the average person in Mexico? This is not a classically unreached place, like perhaps some places in the Middle East, but there are millions upon millions that really haven't understood the gospel message sufficiently to be able to understand what it is they're believing in. So that makes it unique. But also culturally, we have a mixture of cultures. So in the 1500s, the Spanish came and they took over what at the time was called Tenochtitlan. That was, it was an Aztec region, indigenous folks, really a high civilization you can come visit Mexico City today and you still see ruins of immense pyramid structures about an hour and a half from Mexico City. There is a whole pyramid city. When you look at it, it is just you can't believe what you're seeing because it's so large. A lot of it's been restored. So you have this mixture of cultures, indigenous cultures and then Spanish cultures and then the mixing of the indigenous and the Spanish, which makes up the majority of the population today. Oh, that's great. I appreciate you sharing some of that. I want to hear you talk some about the state of the church. You know, you mentioned in what you were just sharing, you talked some about the fact that there are 90% of the people, you know, maybe we have not heard a, a clear gospel presentation, something along those lines. 
But I would love to hear you share some about the state of the evangelical church. Is there an evangelical church presence and what does that look like? Yeah, it's a great question. So there is an evangelical presence. Um, like I mentioned earlier about, I would say 90% of the population in Mexico City, we wouldn't consider having a, a saving knowledge and faith in Christ. And this is despite, uh, I'll just give you some facts. Evangelicals of different stripes, different flavors have been here over 100 years. In fact, the very first Baptist, I come from a Southern Baptist convention, so I know a lot about the Baptist statistics, but the first Baptists were established here over 137 years ago. Our, what's called Misión Mexicana, the Mexican mission, has been here for 137 years. And so we, in Mexico City, we have uh, Baptist institutions, we have a regional convention, the Mexico has a national Baptist convention, We've got a very large Baptist seminary. We have uh, over 100 Baptist churches. And in fact, I'm here looking at my notes. In 1895, D.L. Moody preached a campaign here in 1895. So, I mean, we've, we've had other influences. And D.L. Moody came and there was a revival for years after that, after he came and preached. So this is not untouched with the gospel. The thing is, is that... During those times, the traditional established church was so against the preaching of the gospel that they had immense power over how the gospel spread. And I'm talking about on an institutional level, you know, no man can stop what God's going to do in people's hearts. But that all to say that even despite over 137, 140 years of gospel presence, uh, Baptists, we barely register statistically of how many people are part of the Baptist movement here in Mexico City. Now, we have Methodists and we have Presbyterians and we have non-denominational churches. There are good things happening in the evangelical world. Between the year 2000 and 2010, the evangelical growth grew 30%, okay, which is great. But the latest census between 2010 and 2020 that was just done Evangelical growth of all flavors has grown 89%, okay? It's exponentially growing. And I can tell just from a personal level that one of the things that we try to do as a Mexico City team is to, we're trying to do a better job at rubbing shoulders with other like-minded, what we call Great Commission Christians, people who are of like faith, have similar doctrine. We want to see the same types of things happening in the city. And I'm just, over the last five years, I've been hearing this group and that group, and there are strategic alliances forming, and everybody's talking about church planning. And I think we're seeing this reflected in the statistical growth. And so I would say five years ago, I wasn't hearing so much about church planning, and now I'm hearing it in all types of groups and so even though there's still so much more work to do, I think uh, all of us that are listening, we can rejoice and give thanks for what God is doing here in Mexico City and Mexico as well. That's great. You know, as we think about kind of those numbers, those stats, the evangelical presence and all of those kinds of things, the history of work, we know also that traditionally, you know, Mexico City is a, a very Roman Catholic dominated city. Can you just briefly talk with us some about some of the challenges with reaching people, sharing the gospel with people, discipling people that are immersed in Roman Catholicism? 
Yeah, so when we talk about Roman Catholics, there are some great opportunities and some real challenges and barriers. One of the opportunities is because, so a Roman Catholic faith shares a lot with our evangelical faith. I mentioned where both sets of faiths are Trinitarian. So there are certain obstacles that we don't, we don't have to convince Roman Catholics about the divinity of the Son or the divinity of the Holy Spirit. So I think one of the things that we try to do is what are our bridges that we can bridge with Roman Catholic folks? In fact, if you look at what Paul did, I mean, Paul always first went into the synagogues to preach the gospel. Why did he do that? Why did he go to the synagogue first? Because there's already natural bridges there. I almost envision Roman Catholics being kind of like the synagogues of Paul's day. Now, I cannot go into a Roman Catholic church and preach the gospel just because of the hierarchy, the structure. However, we can do what Paul did, and we find those bridges, and we just we begin to cross them. And trying to, at first, avoid the more tricky parts of the doctrine. Here in Mexico City... They are devotees of what's called the Virgin of Guadalupe. All right, Guadalupe is just a, it's a apparition of Mary. And the legend goes that Mary appeared to the indigenous people of Mexico in the form of an indigenous woman. Now, she happened to appear on a mountain that's located in northern Mexico City that was a pagan site of ritual and devotion. Okay, so that's the legend. So Mary appears as an indigenous woman to capture the indigenous folks. And so that's a real sticky subject between evangelicals and Catholics. So at the beginning, we want to avoid that. Let's talk about what we are agree on. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about not only that he died on the cross, but why did he die? Why was his death necessary and important for the Mexican that lives in Mexico City today? So these are the things that we want to talk about. So first, let's look for the bridges. Second, let's identify the barriers. Okay. Now, one big barrier is like in my testimony, I was raised in a Roman Catholic faith. I knew about God. I knew about Christ. Didn't understand what it meant about for me. The other aspect of that is that as a Roman Catholic growing up, I never read the Bible. I never read the Bible until I was 20 years old and started to read it. It's not really something that's promoted. I have talked to hundreds, if not thousands of Mexican people, whether it's on the streets, doing witnessing campaigns, and they will always tell me the same thing. Yes, I am Roman Catholic, but I haven't been to church in years and years. Or they'll tell me, yeah, I'm Roman Catholic, but it's because my parents are Roman Catholic. And then when I ask about, hey, have you ever read the scriptures? 98% say I've never opened up a Bible. The other thing is just the inoculation of religion, right? The inoculation of religion. When you grow up in a religious society, how do we convince them that our message is something different? Our message is unique. Our message has the ability to change your life. In today's uncertain world, there's an urgent need for competent biblical counselors who can offer hope and help through the whole counsel of God's Word. 
Are you called to be a counselor? A degree in biblical counseling from Southern Seminary is designed to equip students with a biblical foundation and professional skills needed to help others navigate the struggles and challenges of everyday life. This degree prepares graduates to minister to individuals, couples, and families in church, nonprofit, or missional settings. To learn more about Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, and doctoral degrees available through the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. There you'll learn how podcast listeners can save $40 when applying for classes. That web address again is sbts.edu bgs. You know, you mentioned earlier that you've been there for seven years serving in Mexico City. Obviously, it hasn't been easy, but you have seen the Lord do some some good and encouraging things. And so when you look back over the last two to three years, what encouraging things have you seen? How is the Lord at work in this place? We know that there are people all around the world that are praying for you, praying for your work. So tell us what the Father is doing. First of all, thank you for all the people that pray for missions in general and if you've happened to pray for Mexico, Mexico City, we, we really cherish your prayers and we encourage you to continue praying for us and the people here. Sometimes you have to give thanks to God for the small victories, okay? I don't want to overhype what has happened here. What, what I do know on a greater scale, there's lots happening. When we include all the other brothers and sisters of other faiths and denominations that are working If I could get a snapshot of all that, I think we would just all be amazed. But I'm still amazed with what God has done through our team. I mean, in the last several years, we have seen churches planted. We've seen churches planted directly through our team, and we give thanks for that. But as we look at a city of 22 million people, we're realizing that we have to be way more catalytic in the way that we're working. Okay, so even if we had the best church planners in the world, and let me tell you something, our team, any good that's happened, number one, it's God. And number two, our team has wonderful people working, okay, that are highly talented and God uses them. But even with the best church planners on our team, we may be able to plant one, maybe two churches every couple of years. So we're looking at this harvest. We're looking at the 110 Baptist churches that we work with. We're looking at the other hundreds of denominations and we're saying, man, if God could just raise up a small army within each of our tribes, train them, mobilize them, resource them in the ways that we're able to, you know, we could see just so much more. So this is what we're doing. This has been our pivot, our change in the last three years. And so now we're working with, thank God has played some really key people to work with. And so we've got like a partnership between IMB, between locals that are planning churches and the local church planners. So IMB, SBC churches, local church planners. That's our three-pronged strategy. And we're trying to multiply that over and over. And people are coming to the Lord. And I wish I could tell you that there's hundreds of churches started. There's not, not yet, but I I believe that it's going to happen We're just praying, we're praying that the Lord continues to, it will happen as the Lord raises up people to say, man, God's calling me to this work, and I'm going to plant a church no matter what it costs. And so, yeah, so we give thanks for, for what God is doing. 
Praise the Lord. It's, it's encouraging to hear how he is at work there in Mexico City. You know, we've talked some about Mexico City. It's a well-known city, a massive city. I mean, just even as you mentioned earlier, somewhere between 22 and 28 million people there. Just it, It's hard for us to even think about cities that large. But I want to ask you, what do you believe it takes to do faithful ministry in urban cities like Mexico City? Yeah, so I'll confess something. So my, hopefully my confession will help uh, answer that. Don't worry, it's nothing too bad. Listen, my first two years in Mexico City were very difficult. Listen, I was born in Los Angeles. I was raised in Miami. I love cities. I love everything about them. But Mexico City is like, it's a monstrosity of a city, okay? And so my first two years in Mexico City, I struggled very badly because it felt like you could never escape people, right? No matter where you went, you were surrounded by people. And then if you're in the traffic, you felt like I'm spending my life in traffic. Lord, this is not what I signed up for. Lord, you're calling me to, to preach to the lost and hopefully plant some churches, but I'm in the car and everybody's honking at me and saying words that I don't know if they're blessings or curses. And so my first two years, I struggled. And I said, Lord, if this is what it's going to be like, I want out. Okay. At the same time, I was praying, but Father, if you give me the grace to persevere here, you know, I'll be really grateful. Luckily, God's grace won out of me wanting to quit. So I would say, I don't care if you're from a city or you're from a rural place. One of the big things you need to do to succeed in the city is persevere. Okay. I was at the point of, I almost did not persevere those first two years. I'm thankful I did because God did a work in that. It was like a surrendering of Lord, I'm here. So if I'm in traffic, you knew that you sent us here. So I've got to learn how to deal with this traffic. How do I use time and traffic to my benefit? I use it in prayer. I use it to intercede on behalf of others. I use it to think. And there's nothing I can do about it unless my organization wants to give me a helicopter, which I don't know if they will. So if we have any big wids of, of our organization listening, a helicopter would be uh, beneficial for our ministry. But if that doesn't happen, yeah, you persevere. And God's going to help you do that. Look at traffic and look at the thousands of people and look at the lines you have to make. Look at these as gospel opportunities that God, you're rubbing shoulders all the time with lost people. Okay. That's number one is just persevere when you think you can't persevere. And number two, and actually number one should be just have a strong of a relationship with the Lord as possible. People that have, are in ministry, understand that the quirks that we have, let's say our weaknesses, they are magnified on the mission field, right? They are magnified. So if you come to the field with anger issues, your anger is going to be more angry. If you come with doubt, you're going to have more, all these things. So you have to be close to the Lord. You got to be in his word. You have to continue to go back to why am I here? Because the tough times are going to arrive. And I don't care if you're in the middle of Kentucky and you're a pastor. You know, you're going to have those days where you're going to want to 
give up and quit, but you have to keep going back. Lord, you sent me here. Why am I here? Help me to fulfill that calling. So, and number three, I would say is just uh, relationships. So I have noticed that as our relationships with nationals and our Baptist partners, as those have grown, as we have trusted them more, as they have trusted us more, our well-being and our sense of belonging and love for the people in a place keeps growing. And so th- those are three keys, you know, persevere. Obviously, number one is the Lord, your relationship. Number two, persevere. And number three, grow your relationships. And I would say that's for a small rural town, but also for the big city. I think it might be even more important because it's harder in a big city to make these three components happen in a way that they merge together uh, to help you continue forward. That's good. This next question is a little bit more personal in nature, but it's a question I ask everybody that I interview. And here's the question, Rick, day after day, week after week and month after month, what keeps you there in that place? And why are you giving your life to this work? The Lord. It's kind of what I just mentioned. A long time ago, we sensed they called, like I said, right after I was saved, I sensed a call to follow the Lord, eternally grateful for what God has done in my life. I've always had the sense that if God could save me, he could save anybody. There is nobody outside of the reach of God's loving hand, his holy hand. The scriptures are clear that everybody that will repent and trust in Christ will be saved. Whether you're a white lie type of person or you're a murderer. Okay. And so number one, I I just feel grateful for what God has done in my life. God has not allowed us to just give it up and do something else at this point in my life. And so we keep moving forward, trying to do our best to discern his will and call And that's probably the biggest reason of why we've been able to persevere, not only in Mexico City, but on the field almost 20 years. God just keeps moving us forward. We never, ever thought that we would be this long. When we first came with our organization, we never had a timeline. We never said, God, you know, we'll do this for four years or three years, and then, you know, we'll do something else. But we also didn't think that we'd be here 20 years later almost. (laughs) So, I mean, when I got to the field, Paul, I had a full head of hair. You know what I'm saying? I had, I had no gray in my beard. I know your, your hearers can't hear this, but, I mean, the mission field has done a number on me physically. But, hey, it's all worth it. You know, the body wastes away, but the inner spirit is always being renewed by the Holy Spirit. And so that's what keeps us here. And it will keep us here until we understand something different. It helps that we love our people here in Mexico. It helps that we love our city. It has helped that our kids have loved growing up in Mexico City. They identify with the people, the culture. They speak the language. By God's grace, we're happy here. That doesn't mean that there isn't challenges. That doesn't mean that there's not times that are tough. We keep our eyes focused on Christ. And as long as he says, stay, we stay. And we don't know what that means. We don't know if that means another 20 years, another 15 years, or another 15 minutes. God will determine all that. We trust him. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. This is the the last question. And so, Rick, I want to thank you for your time uh, and the conversation. 
The last question is, what is one thing you want everyone listening to this podcast to know or to do? I want you to know that God is at work here in Mexico City and that anything good that has happened, it's because God has made it happen. We are thankful that God has provided us with wonderful teammates that are doing amazing work. We are thankful for an organization that allows us and our churches that allow us to be here to do this important work. The other thing I just, I would cherish everybody's prayers. It is a tough work. It can be discouraging at times. It's, we can rejoice at times, but if you'll just remember, even if you never remember, you know, my name or anybody's name on our team, if you'll just remember to pray for Mexico City, that God would continue to open hearts and minds to the gospel and that God, what we really need to see happen is that God would raise up men and women missionaries that will plant churches here in the city. We need them by the thousands, not only of our tribe, the Baptists, but of all the other Great Commission Christians as well. And so just pray that God would raise people up. If God will raise them up, our team and other teams that are working in Mexico City, we will do our best to train them up and help them in any way possible. So yeah, just be praying for God to do that work. Thanks so much, Rick. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Rick today. Please pray for him, for his family, for his work there in Mexico City. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast and be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. Please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.